I was talking with the, the young adult group last night. And there's this little video that's been going around and it shows this kid, he's going down a slide, but it's one of those slides in which it has bumps. And this kid is going down the slide, you might have seen it, and as he's going down the slide, he starts off smiling, but as he's going down the slide, he starts hitting his head along the side of the slide and says at the end, the caption, this is how I ended 2015. But friends, I want you to know something. No matter what's happened in 2015, today is a new day. Amen? A brand new year. You know, I've had this tradition in my life. And it started probably about six or seven years ago. And what happens is, on the last day of the year, December 31st, I'm always impressed to write down prayer requests for 2016. I totally forgot about it just a few days ago. And the Lord reminded me about it that very morning, December 31st. And so I began to lay out these various prayer requests, things I want the Lord to do in 2016. But there was something different this time. Many times I had gone through this prayer list and I had written them down and I was like, Lord, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, I want you to do this. But then this time after I wrote it, there was just a different feeling I had. Instead of just saying, God, you have to do this, I was praying, Lord, if this can bring glory to you, so be it. But if not, it's okay. And I have never reached that point before. But friends, I want you to know something. Jesus wants us to trust Him. Us to trust Him with the future. Amen? He's got amazing things in store. You know, I, I tell you this. Last week I announced, obviously you can know from the emails and whatever, that um, I'll be leaving the series church not this Sabbath coming up, but the next Sabbath after will be my last Sabbath here. And I will be, <laughs> I will be in Patterson until March doing my first assignment there, which is an evangelistic series. Um, I know God will continue to lead this church. Amen? You know, I've had these moments where it just, you know, you, once the decision is made, you're like, okay, it's done. But then these waves keep hitting you. Last night was my final young adult Bible study. I didn't realize it until just a few hours before, or actually earlier that morning, I should say. And then it just dawned on me, I mean, man, seven years. Seven years. And, and my heart has just been bound up with the people here. I just want to say thank you so much for enriching my life. Even the troublemakers here. I know that my time here, that I have been changed, permanently changed. And I want to thank you, each one of you, for making my time here just a tremendous blessing. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, I also got some good news. We finished off our church budget. Amen? It's a big deal. You want to know why? Because we had the highest budget this year since all the history of the series church and it was paid off praise the Lord can you say amen to that amen. I just want to thank everybody who sacrificed and then sacrificed again and it just tells me that God is leading this church amen 
And God will continue to lead this church. He is the shepherd of this church. Why don't we begin with a word of prayer and then we'll begin this sermon time. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you again for a brand new year. Lord, thank you for transitions, changes, and new opportunity for each person. We pray as 2016, a whole new year of life is laid out before us. God, may we be faithful to the plans and purposes you have for us. And God, we pray, according to your will, by the time 2016 ends, we will be have brought, been brought closer to you. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, did this last year, I'm going to do this again. If you don't want to answer, you don't have to. What is your New Year's resolution? Who here has set a New Year's resolution? I want you to raise your hand. And if your New Year's resolution is not to set any New Year's resolution, don't raise your hand. It's not original, okay? Who here has set a brand new, a New Year's resolution? Royce. Royce wants to spend time reading his Bible every... Extend. Extend, sorry. Extend his time reading the Bible, yes. Camille. Be more faithful to God. What else? What's a New Year's resolution you have set? Nobody here has set New Year's resolutions besides two people. Okay, Barb. Praise the Lord. You want to read the Bible through in a systematic way. Amen. Anybody else? Yes. To spread the gospel to as many people as you can. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? What's a New Year's resolution? Amen. Memorize more scripture. Anybody else? Gary. Let the Lord do it for you. Amen. Praise the Lord. What's a New Year's resolution you have set? Yes, Mike. Lose 60 pounds. Man, you're going to be a twig next time we see you. How much do you weigh right now, Mike? 220. Can you stand up? You have 220 with the baby. <laughs> if anybody can lose that much pounds, I know it's Mike. Yes. To read the Bible in a year? That's cool. Very good New Year's resolution. Anybody else? What's the New Year's resolution you have set? Yes. Stepping out of the comfort zone and following God's commands. Amen. Anybody else? What's a New Year's resolution you have made? Even if you have not written it down on paper, but you know, I'm, I'm making this decision. Yes. Okay, for the Lord to use you more. Okay, praise the Lord. Anybody else? A New Year's resolution you have set. Yes. Making changes for God. But Tali, you're smiling, so you must have a New Year's resolution. Go ahead. Plan an effective routine in what? To achieve your goals to do what? <laughs> More of a Christian life. Praise the Lord. Amen? Anybody else? Come on, someone's got a New Year's resolution that's original. I'm looking for one. Yes. To use God's gifts that He's given you. Amen. Anybody else? 
Yes, Sarah. To pray more? Amen. Very good. Excellent gifts. Excellent New Year's resolutions. Anybody else? One more person. Besides Camille. <laughs> Anybody else? Yes. Wants to read his Bible. Praise the Lord. Those are the best kinds of resolutions you can set. Amen. But here's the thing to always remember about New Year's resolutions. Okay. New Year's, res- New Year's resolutions are not something that should just occur in the beginning of the year. You shouldn't just make New Year's resolutions only in the beginning of the year. You should make resolutions throughout the year. In fact, the Christian's journey is a journey of decisions. It's a journey of resolutions. Amen? It's a journey of following God and choosing to be obedient to the Lord. Today's sermon is entitled, Planning Your Investments. Planning Your Investments. We're going to be learning some interesting things today that I really believe are going to challenge you and are going to require you to investigate the scriptures for yourself on these various topics. Okay? You know what's interesting about investments? We always hear about that word, investments. And do you know what normally comes to our mind? Financial investments. Do you know several years ago, I was playing the stock market. And especially when the market was fluctuating so much, I decided it would be a pivotal time to play the stock market. And I started making money over the course of different days. Until the Lord convicted me that what I was doing was thievery. He had to convict me twice about that because I justified things the first time. I was taking advantage of what was happening and the Lord was saying, Hey, you know what? This is no better than robbery. Now, I'm not saying any financial investment or stock market is robbery. What I was doing specifically was not good. And it's interesting when we think about investments. We're living in a world today where people are becoming millionaires now overnight. I was reading about one guy by the name of Peter Thale. He invested $500,000, about the cost of a nice big home, in a potential startup company. It was called Facebook. 2005, and do you know what he was able to sell those shares for in 2012? $700 million. That's a lot of money, right? You were hearing about all these companies that are popping up and people are wondering to themselves, should I invest some money in that? Who knows what will happen tomorrow? It seems our world is full of all all sorts of potential gimmicks and schemes, opportunities. But friends, I want you to know something. There's more to investment than just financial things. Amen? Investment has to do with definitely planning for the future, being willing to risk something for gain later on. And there's many different ways that we can invest. Now let me ask you a question. If you knew you had five days left to your life, five days, how would your investments change? Five days left. Next week, you're gone. Would there be different decisions in your life? Would you do things differently? If you found out that the end of your life was going to take place within five days from now, how would things change? Would the way you treat people, would that change? The money that goes in the bank, would that change? How you spend your time, would that change? 
Probably wouldn't get much sleep. You got extra time, right? When you think about this, investment begins to take on a whole new frame of reference. You're going to see where I'm going with this. Imagine if you only have 30 days of life left. How would your investments change? How would your life change? What would you begin to put stock into as opposed to what you're doing now? Perhaps you have one year of life left. What would you do differently? You know what I decided for the rest of my life? I don't want to die a wealthy person. If that money doesn't have a purpose, I don't want to die a wealthy person. I don't want to die with money in the bank that's unnamed. Friends, I want you to know something. None of us knows the time that we have left. And that is important to remember when it comes to this world. That it's important that we make the best kinds of investments. There are two categories of investments that we should be making. Number one, temporal investments. We obviously should be planting seeds and be willing to invest in things in the here and now because that's where we're living. But at the same time, we should be making what's called eternal investments. What kind of investments? Eternal investments. You know, I saw this illustration not too long ago. And this man, what he did is, he took some string. Okay? He took some string, and he said, this is eternity. Okay? Let's just imagine this ball of string goes on forever and ever. Okay, good. He says, this is eternity right here. Right here. Man, it just keeps going and going and going. Look at all this. I mean, think about this. Millions and millions of years of life. Not just millions and millions of years. Billions and billions of years. Trillions and trillions of years of life. We're talking about eternity, friends. Now, why is this interesting? Because this is our life right here. This is all of humanity's life right here. The Bible talks about the average life of this man, uh, the, the span of life's man, 70, maybe 80 years of strength, right here. And do you want to know what's so interesting about this life? Here is your life, and yet you have all of eternity to live. But many people are investing in their life as if this is all there is to their life. Are you tracking with me so far? We've got to learn that we need to make eternal investments. Can you say amen to that? There is so much to eternity. And the Bible calls us to start looking ahead. Because the decisions we make today are affecting our investments for all of eternity. You know, it's so amazing what Ellen White says right here. She says these words. Eternity alone... What was that first word? Eternity alone can reveal the glorious destiny to which man, restored to God's image, may attain. We have no idea from the infant to the infinity. What will be man's destiny? Can you imagine this? A humanity redeemed one million years from now. What will it look like? Two billion years from now. What will it be? Only in the heart of God is this understood. But imagine this. If all we live is for this life, we may not be part of what eternity has in its mystery 
for the human race. Friends, when you think about the way Adam and Eve were put in the garden, they were placed in an environment of growth. Even in perfection, God wanted growth to happen. Some people think perfection means completion. But perfection means being good or bright or perfect where you are in the process of growth. And so Adam and Eve were placed in an atmosphere of growth because they were to continually grow throughout eternity. See, God has a plan and purpose for humanity that we fully don't understand. But friends, unless you are there, you will miss out on all that God has in mind for the human race. And I want to be there, don't you? Amen? And we need to start thinking about eternity. Now many times you hear about this, or you'll see a billboard sign. You know, I was driving down the 99 and there was this billboard sign. And it said these words. Heaven or hell, you choose. Call 1-800-TRUTH. Have you seen that sign before? And sometimes we send out these, these decisions and we'll say, Hey, do you want to be in heaven or do you want to be lost for all of eternity? Not saying you're going to burn in hell forever, but do you want to be lost? Do you want to become nothing? And what we have done is that we have completely distilled down salvation to merely being being in heaven for all of eternity or not existing. You're like, okay, what can be different than that? I want you to understand something. There is more to eternity than merely just being saved. And you're going to see where this starts going. I want to say this one more time. There is more to eternity than just being saved. What I'm going to say to you is quite a remarkable statement. And it's this. Eternity will be different for every single person. Your eternal life will be different than my eternal life. What happens with you, one million, two million, three million years if you're redeemed, is going to be different from what happens to me, one million, two million, three million years from now, if I'm saved. Now you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, I thought it was just merely about being saved and avoiding being lost. Friends, the decisions that we are making today are affecting the way our eternal life is actually going to be. I'm going to make the case in just a few minutes. But there's a point that needs to be understood. And that point is this. Heaven is a real place with real dynamics. And so the transference that takes place when God's people are redeemed from this world to heaven isn't in this place where every single thing changes. Friends, we... Our minds, our hearts, our characters are being transformed. Sure that we'll get brand new bodies. But you as a person, your identity, you who you are, is going to go to this place. To be part of eternity. Many people think, oh, it's just when this great change happens. Uh, When I finally die, I'll resurrect and I'll be a whole new person. It's not the way it works. And if God violated your choice to save you, as we talked about in Sabbath school, if God violated your choice to save you, your identity to save you, guess what? You would cease to be you. God wouldn't be saving a someone, He would be saving a something. Are you tracking with me so far? 
So your identity, who you are, your character is going to this place for all of eternity. And what we're beginning to understand is that eternity is going to be different for every single kind of person that is saved. In other words, there are varying degrees of reward. Are you tracking with me so far? We're still building a case for this. If there are varying degrees of reward that happen throughout eternity, then we can also understand that for the righteous, there are varying degrees of losses that can happen. That even all of eternity will not be able to redeem. I'm going to show you this right now. I'm going to show you there are varying degrees of rewards in heaven. Everybody take your Bible and go to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. Chapter 5. It's not this just this idea, oh yeah, everyone is going to be saved and that's the end of it. Those who are redeemed, hey, they'll all be like each other, they'll all grow together, they'll all have the same thing. I want you to understand something. When Jesus paints a picture of eternity, He hones in on specific differences throughout eternity. Are we in Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5, I want you to see verse 17. Notice what the Bible says right here. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to what? Fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. Here God is describing the eternity of the law. And then notice what he says next. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called what? Least in the what? The kingdom of heaven. Here he's describing people who are saved. And by the way, we're all saved through grace. Amen? Absolutely. But here he's describing a kind of person who's saved, who spent his life teaching others. It's not necessary to keep the commandments of God. And he was called what in the kingdom of heaven? Least. Now notice what he says next. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called what? He shall be called what? Great in the kingdom of heaven. Now here what we begin to see, Jesus begins to make a difference between those who are redeemed. He says, look, those who are saved but taught men to break the royal law of love throughout, the, throughout their lifespan. He says, they'll be called least. But those who taught men about the law of heaven shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now you're thinking to yourself, hmm, interesting. Let me make another point. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus begins to describe the parable of the talents. And do you know what he says in the parable of the talents? He described a man that was given one talent. And do you know what happened to that person who had one talent? What did he do with that talent? He buried it. Then there was somebody who had how many talents? Five talents. And what did he do with his talents? He traded them and he made how many more? Five. And then there was somebody that had how many talents? Ten talents. And what did he do with his ten talents? He doubled them. Plus, he was given one more, right? Right? Whose talent was he given? He was given the first person's talent. And do you know what Jesus says to him? When Jesus begins to give the reward, do you know what Jesus does? Jesus actually starts saying, 
To this person who had two talents or five talents that went out to trade, he is going to be given a reward that's proportionate to this. And then the guy that had ten talents and traded them, he was faithful in least and he would be made faithful over what? Much. Here we begin to see something quite, quite strange that there are varying degrees of reward. Now I want to make one thing very clear. Number one, all are saved by grace. Can you say amen to that? And number two, all will be satisfied with the reward that they receive in heaven. But... With that being understood, number one, that they'll be saved by grace, and number two, all will be satisfied. We need to understand a very important life. There is still going to be varying degrees of reward throughout all of eternity. In fact, did you know when the Bible talks about the 144,000 who are redeemed from the earth, do you know what the Bible says about them? That they sing a what? They don't just sing a song. What's so interesting about this song? Nobody else could sing that song. Do you remember one day Jesus spoke to the twelve disciples? And he told them something quite interesting. He said to them, you will be on the twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Here we begin to see various kinds of distinctions about the reward in heaven. I came across this really intense quote in the spirit of prophecy. And you take it prayerfully, but this is what it says. Eternity is before us. All improvements we make here of our own mental powers, all the high attainments we make in refining and elevating ourselves by connecting ourselves closely with heaven will be translated with us. Will be what? Translated with us. While if we dwarf capabilities by inaction, we will deteriorate our talents, which are susceptible of the highest cultivation. We cannot, we cannot what? We cannot in the better world would redeem the past, that's ne- that past neglect of self-culture and great lost. This is such intense stuff when you begin to realize this. We have this idea. Okay, once I step into eternity and I'm redeemed, hey, everything will be restored. Friends, I want you to understand something. There are things that will not be restored. That's intense, heavy stuff because we were taught, hey, when I'm saved, everything's going to be okay. Now, what is the point that I'm trying to make in all this? That your life today will affect your eternity tomorrow. It's not just, oh, I'll be saved, I'll come in through the minimum requirements, and I'll be good. Sure, you'll be saved, and sure, you'll be satisfied, but guess what? There is still more to eternity. There will be capabilities that others will be able to experience and be able to hone in on that others will not be able to do. In fact, notice what it said right here. Though God may forgive the sinner, yet eternity will may not make up for that voluntarily lost, sustained in this life. To go forth into the next, the future life, deprived of half the power which might be carried, there is a terrible thought. The days of probation lost here in acquiring a fitness for heaven is a loss which can never be recovered. I know this is heavy stuff right now. But we need to take this in right now. 
Just as Jesus made it very clear, there are various kinds of distinctions in heaven. Various kinds of levels. Various kinds of reward. And the Bible says that God comes to give every man his reward. And eternity for the redeemed will be different for every single one of these individuals. There is still a loss that even the redeemed will experience by not taking advantage of what's in this life right now. Let's continue with this. The days of probation lost here in acquiring the fitness for heaven is a loss which will never be recovered. However high we might attain in the future life, we might soar higher and still higher if we had made the most of our, of our God-given privileges and golden opportunities to improve our faculties here in this probationary existence. You know, it's interesting. I was looking at my report card. I got straight A's. But I didn't learn a single thing this semester. (laughs) I really didn't. Four classes I knocked out. I was so happy when they were done. Looked at my report card, I was like, A, A minus, A minus, and A. I was thinking, man, I just finished four classes right now, and it's been such an intense last few months. And then I was like, But what did I learn? And I was like, I don't think I learned anything. But I got my A. And I thought, okay, that's good. But friends, I want you to understand something. This is the many way that people are living their Christian lives. Just making sure the report card's good. Getting in on the minimum standards. But not taking in the deep lessons and allowing God to help them invest for all of eternity. Friends, there is, as I said before, there is going to be a different eternity for you as there is for me. It is going to be quite distinct and different. It's not just me, everyone just coming in and being saved. We're okay now. I fully believe that all will be satisfied with the reward that God gives them. But I also fully believe that in the understanding of Scripture, and by the way, it's not just Adventist theologians. I took several uh, hours yesterday going over non-Adventist theologians, and they all agree equivocally, unequivocally, that the Scriptures are teaching there are varying degrees of reward. And if there are varying degrees of reward, the implication is there are varying degrees of losses for the righteous that are saved. And the point is this, that you have opportunity now to cultivate and to invest for the future. Or you can just say, I'm going to live my life the way it is. I'm going to get right in on the minimum standards. I'll get to the end. I'll graduate. I'll be able to look at my report card. A, 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 A. But you will have missed prime opportunities that will grow and be blessed throughout all of eternity. Friends, I want you to see something here now. Something that we all need to understand is this. Okay, I get this. I want my life to start being invested for eternity future. Now the question is, wait a minute, how do I invest for all of eternity future? How do I actually do this? 
How do I start making investments, not just for this world, but for the world to come? How do I actually do this? And Jesus begins to outline how this can be done. Everybody take your Bible, let's go to the book of John, John chapter 14. We're going to see how Jesus teaches about investing in eternity future. How what you put in today, this year, will have an effect throughout all of eternity. Friends, I want to be able to reach the height and the potential in which God created me to reach, don't you? I don't want to be able to come to this with limited, say, you know what, this could have been. I could have experienced that, I could have had this. God wants to do much more for your eternity than just merely save you. Everybody take your Bible, let's go to John chapter 14. If you're there, go ahead and say Amen. John chapter 14. Notice what Jesus says right here in verse 1. Let not your heart be what? Troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is the sweet words of Jesus. Amen. He knew he was about to leave. Therefore his words had to be calculated to leave such a deep impression in the minds of his worried and concerned disciples. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me, Jesus says. And then notice what he says next. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know also. Jesus said, I'm heading towards this way. I'm going this way to heaven. And I'm going to do some great things for you. And what he begins to leave with the disciples is an understanding through various chapters in the book of John. Where he gives some of the most deepest, powerful lessons that would affect him. Not just for this life, but for the life to come. And friends, what Jesus lays out is how you can invest in all of eternity future. Notice what he says. Take your Bible, go to John 15. Jesus is continuing his message. You know what's so interesting about the Gospel of John? I said this before. The Gospel of John is completely different from the other Gospels. The other Gospels are just narratives over the life of Christ. The book of John is so amazing because it's broken up into the first part of Jesus' life and the last six or seven months of Jesus' life. So you can see what John was really impressed to write down and to note in this gospel. The most precious hours with Jesus, the final moments. John 15. Notice what Jesus says right here. How to invest in all of eternity. I am the true vine and my father is the what? Vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear what? More fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will do what? Bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Jesus here begins to teach the secret for every, the secret source of every single believer. And that would be the communion time with God. 
Friend, if there's one lesson you can be left with over these last seven and a half years of ministry, it's this. That you have learned to walk with Jesus by learning to spend time with Him. Spending time with God is not merely just opening up the Bible, saying a quick word of prayer, and then moving on. Friends, communing with God needs to become the priority of your life. You'll receive a fresh new revelation of God. Now how would that help you for all of eternity future? Because when you commune with God, you are communing with heaven. You are learning about the infinite mind of God. And God is strengthening our weak minds as we spend time with Him. David said in Psalm 119, I have more wisdom than all my teachers because I make thy testimonies my meditation. David said this, in other words, I'm smarter than all my teachers because I spend time with Jesus. Amen? The Bible will stretch your mind. You read the spirit of prophecy and that will bless you in tremendous ways as you open up the book Desire of Ages and Patriarchs and Prophets. You'll even have a greater appreciation for the Word of God. Many times we have structured our communion time with God is as if it, only if it can fit into our schedule. Only as if it's convenient for me, I can do this. But friends, we set our communion time and then life around that. Does that make sense? You're saying, I wake up early, I have to go to work. Well, wake up even earlier and spend time with Jesus. He said, I can't. Why not? Because I go to sleep late. Well, you know what needs to change? You need to sleep early. Your morning time has to be the most precious time. Now, I understand if you work overnight, there's a whole completely different, you're a completely different animal here. I totally understand that. God bless you nurses, especially. But your communion time, learning to spend time with Jesus. Ellen White says that when we commune with God, we will appreciate His character more and actually begin to have a greater hatred of sin. Friends, when you learn to make it a priority to spend time with God, you are investing not just in this world and getting even temporal blessings and benefits, you are investing in all of eternity. And as somebody once said, there's going to be no foreigners in heaven. There's going to be no foreigners in heaven. You want to know why? Because when we get to heaven, it'll feel like we've already been there. Amen? Heaven's not going to be this place where it's like, I feel like this is completely a new experience for me. It'll be a continuation of your walk with God. Amen? Communing with Jesus. And that's why Jesus laid this out to the disciples. He says, look, you've got to invest in this. You've got to invest in this. He says, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to do my part. But I want you to start spending time with me. And when you spend time with Jesus, friends, it will be the best time of day. You will see changes happen in your life you've never seen before. 2016 is here. You can come to the end of it and you can say, you know what? I know the Lord. The Bible says, let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let not the strong man glory in his strength. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. But let him who glory, glory in this. That he knows me, that I am the Lord God who exercises loving kindness, compassion. The greatest accolade one could ever possess is the knowledge of knowing the infinite creator of the universe. Amen? That's how you begin to invest in all of eternity. Investing in your communion time. You're spending that special, precious time with Jesus. And He will expand the mind and give you an understanding. And by the way, how does this relate for all of eternity future? 
Because as you begin to read the Word of God, as God begins to clear out the mind, it is through this conflict with sin and in this world that our mind begins to be shaped and transformed in such a way that living in a world without sin and trouble could never be reached. It is in a conflict with sin that God is able to take the mind and the heart and the body and the soul in a completely different way and mold it through His grace, which unfallen angels know nothing about. So your communion time with God, investing in the future, all of eternity, can you say amen to that? Well, what's the second thing then? Jesus talks about this. Your community... Your community? Your community. Did you know there is certain kinds of growth in your spiritual life that can only happen around people? And you say amen to that. You're like, I don't like that kind of growing. No. Did you know that? There's only certain kinds of growth that can happen around people. It won't happen away from people. It will happen in the midst of people. There's attributes and characteristics of God you will understand in dealing with people. Sometimes people have this notion like, I want to get as far as I can from people as possible. Friends, no man is called to be an island. Amen? But it's with your community, this body of believers... That God is teaching us things, amazing things about even the Lord Himself. Can you say amen to that? Somebody once said this. Hey, there's no comfort in the growth zone. Amen? But there's no growth in the comfort zone either. It's working with people and dealing with people and learning to love people. That God begins to teach us things. You know what's so amazing? When you actually read Jesus' sermons throughout the Gospels, He does not spend hardly any time, if not anything, on heaven's description. You know what He spends more time on? Heaven's dynamics. Not heaven's beauty, but heaven's behavior. He spends more time about the law of love that's throughout heaven, rather than just going into the birds and the airs and the brand new grass. This is what Jesus hones in on because he knows that unless that happens, that transformation at that level, doesn't matter how beautiful heaven is, it won't keep you safe. So learning to be part of your community. Well, how do we do that? Take your Bible, go to John chapter 13, verse 35. John chapter 13, verse 35. How come nobody told me my shoe was unlaced? I remember Pastor Keith, when he would preach a sermon, his sock would be like this sometime. And I would see it, and I would just like, I want to go up there and just pull that down like this and fix it, and then walk back to my seat. Friends, you haven't learned. When the pastor's sock is messed up or his tissues aren't it, let me know. Thank you. All right, let's continue. Really, it's not that big of a deal, but... It's just, I was just noticing it. I was like, something is, you know, when you're preaching, by the way, it's like, I go blind. I'm like, got tunnel vision. And I don't notice things, but I was just feeling like something's, I'm seeing some kind of light flash in, some kind of shadow, and it was my shoelace flopping around. Let's get back to our sermon. John chapter 13, verse 35. I want us to see this. 
Notice what Jesus says right here. He says something remarkable. Let's start with verse 31 actually. Now so he had gone out, Jesus said. By the way, verse 30. This is important. Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately. Who was he talking about? Judas. When Judas left, that's where Jesus began to say something. Let's see what he says. And so when he had gone out, Jesus said, in other words, now that he had left, Jesus could say this. Well, what could Jesus say that he could not say even with Judas there? Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You shall seek me, and I say to the Jews... Where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you. Well, why would this be a new commandment? Because now the disciples were to see, in light of the cross, the love flowing from this sacrifice of Jesus, it would empower them to do this new thing. A new commandment that I give to you, that you what? Love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know you are my disciples, if you have what? Do you know why this is an investment for all of eternity? Why learning to love others is an investment for all of eternity? Shouldn't be hard. Because heaven is a place of what? Love. The dynamic of heaven is based upon the law of love. And so even Paul is saying something in 1 Corinthians. He's like, if you can't handle church matters, he's saying, how will you judge the universe? How will you judge angels? So what God is doing during this time, He's showing us how we can invest in all of eternity by learning to love the unlovable. Can you say amen to that? How many people think they can learn to love the unlovable? Pretty good. Five of you. You know what's even harder than that? Learning to love people you don't want to love. Learning to love people you don't want to love. I don't want to love that person. Woo! See, we can say, you know what, I'm going to love that person. Misa, could you come over here for a second? Man, Misa's just a grouchy person. He whines and complains. I'm still going to love this guy, man. Even though he's unlovable, right? problem is if I don't like him that's the hard part right it's learning to love even people I don't like now you say well that's easy that's not hard really I've been in this church for seven and a half years you think it's I've seen you guys enough times to know things right friends where you can take a seat. Where the experiment of love is happening is in the church. Somebody once said this: the church is the invisible gospel made visible. The church is the invisible gospel made visible. Friends, you can't keep going with bitterness in your heart. That's not the way it's... The only person you're destroying is yourself. God is teaching us just how to love and how to give to Him even feelings that we can't control anymore. 
And if it doesn't happen here, where else will it happen? God wants this to be a place of love, a place and atmosphere where the character of God is represented. By the way, last night it's very interesting, we're studying Luke chapter 9. When Jesus sent out the disciples to go preach in his name and to do the things in his name, the Bible says in the very next verse that when Herod had heard of him and all the things that were being said, notice this, when Jesus sent out the disciples to go out to preach in different places to do the works that he commanded them to do, the Bible says in the next verse, Luke chapter 9, that Herod heard of all the things that were being said about Jesus. It was as the disciples had so done the work of God that it was no different than if Jesus was the one doing it. And so here, when he was hearing all these reports, we're hearing, Jesus is doing that, Jesus is doing that, Jesus is doing that. But in fact, it was the disciples that were doing that. But they had so done it in the name and the character of love that it represented perfectly as if Jesus himself was doing it. Friends, 2016 is here. But all of eternity is before us. How do you want to invest in that? How do you want to invest in that? How do you want to invest in that? This is the one life we're given to cultivate things that will play out in the future. We've got to learn to let go and to learn to give to God. And learn to be more than just say, I want to be understood. But learn to understand. You know when Solomon prayed for a heart, he didn't say this, Lord, I pray that people would understand me. You know what he prayed for? An understanding heart. How do I understand people? And as that begins to happen, as the law of love begins to practice more and more here, Jesus said, by this shall all men know. That's the place where his disciples are. Can you say amen to that? Jesus said something else. Talking about these eternal investments. How you can invest for eternity. Not just temporally, but eternity. Not just your communion time with God. Not just your community, but now your church. The church is a place where your talents wants, God wants to grow your talents. And as you grow your talents, friends, it's such an important thing. Notice this. What we shall be in heaven is the reflection of what we are now. In character, and what's that next phrase? And what? Holy service. Not just your character, but what you've learned to grow in. What we shall be in heaven is the reflection of what we are now in character and holy service. Christ said of himself, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Matthew 20 verse 28. By the way, the word minister is the word deaconess. That's where you get the word deacon. Deacon. Jesus said, I didn't come to be deaconed to. I came to be a deacon to others. Amen? This, His work on earth, is the work in heaven. And our reward for working with Christ in this world is the what? Greater power and wider privilege of working with Him in the what? World to come. The church is a place where God wants to cultivate your talents and abilities that will take on a greater and wider service throughout all of eternity. But if you left unwork, uncultivated, the gifts that God has given to you. You will cut off something that you will not regain later on. It is in this conflict of a sinful world and dealing in the sin, with the sinful world and our, even our own self that the grace of God is cultivating beautiful things that can only be cultivated now. That will lay a foundation for all of eternity future. Your talents and your gifts. 
Jesus lays out in Matthew chapter 25 and he says, look, put to work your talents. Be watching, but be working. Don't just be watching. Be watching and work. Get involved. 2016 is here. You need to start praying, Lord, how can I start using my gifts, my talents and abilities for you? I want to cultivate them. I want to be able to participate in these things that you have for me in the future. By the way, you read the story of Enoch. Do you know what Enoch was doing on earth? It says, Enoch, the guy who was translated. Walking with God, right? He's preaching the gospel. Go back home to where he lived, right? Preach the gospel elsewhere. Go back home to where he lived. It's amazing when you actually study out the spirit of prophecy. There's a vision of Enoch. And Enoch asks, hey, is this your home? He's like, no, my home is in my city, at the city. What's the point? Enoch is doing what Enoch did. You listening to me? Enoch is doing what Enoch did. We'll do what we did. As we continue to use our gifts for God, we'll continue to use our gifts in a greater way, and a greater privileges, different opportunities throughout all of eternity future. But now is the time that God wants to cultivate these things. Friends, we can't just get in through the minimum requirements to say, well, I'll just get in, I'll just enjoy heaven. Sure, as I said before, number one, all will be saved through grace. Amen? And number two, all will be satisfied. But there will still be a different eternity than the one I experienced. Capabilities. New dynamics that God wants us to be able to participate in. That not all will participate in. And this is the time in which God wants to do that. This is the time where God wants you to start investing in the future. You know, we think about the church. And we think about this. Okay, how is that investment in the future? For all of eternity future. Jesus said something very interesting in the gospel of Matthew chapter 6 verse 21. He says, lay for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust and robbers and bad people who play the stock markets will not be able to touch. Amen. And as you do this, you are laying for yourself an eternal treasure. And that treasure, friends, will accumulate. What does it look like? You'll have to find out when you get there. But the one thing I can say about this investment. There is no risk of loss. There is no risk of loss. And even Victor Gaines, shrewd mind, would agree. That's an investment you can put your money into. Amen? There is no risk of loss with this investment. Here we are. Here we are, 2016. Are you storing up treasures on earth? Are you investing in this world or are you investing in the future? Are you investing in just the next few years? Or are you investing for all of eternity? Friends, your eternity will be different from my eternity. But I want in this life to be able to reach the potential, the fullness in which God has given me this time to reach. And throughout all of eternity, millions and millions and trillions and trillions of years, each one of us will experience unique things. God now is laying before us, not just this year, 
but all of eternity. Jesus died to redeem you. See, the devil doesn't just want to take away your future. He wants to limit your future in some degree. But God wants you to be able to reach the heights and depths for which he created you to experience in his love. Amen? Let me ask you the question, are you investing in your eternity? Are you investing in this world? Or are you investing for all of the future with Jesus? It's going to be a special thing. And that cultivation begins now. This is the time, friends. You know, I want to make a very special appeal as I invite the music team to the front. We're going to be singing a special song called Marching to Zion. Marching to Zion. Here we go. We're going to heaven. Amen? But God wants to be able to give us all that is possible to receive in this world, in this life. What we are now is what we'll do in the future. And so this is a time now God wants to use your gifts and your talents, your service, your offerings for His glory because it's being laid up for all of eternal bliss. And as this song is being sung, and you're thinking to yourself, man, have I been investing in eternity, future, investing in what's, hap- what's going to happen in the future, or have I been just investing in this world? Friend, if you want to start making those decisions, I want to start investing in eternity future. I'm going to invite you up to the front. A special appeal. You say, I want to make that decision. I want you to come up to this altar. We're going to pray. Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer. And let's commit ourselves to the Lord. 2016, but not just 2016. Eternity. Amen. Father in heaven. Lord, I just thank you for this great group of willing servants, Lord, who want to be able to be all that you've called them to be in this life. And God, we thank you above all things for the grace of God that's appeared to us. We pray, Lord, that our lives will be reflections of that grace. God, we want to commit ourselves to you not just for 2016, but for all of eternity. Lord, we pray that we would not miss those golden opportunities and moments to grow and to cultivate things in our lives that may be invested for the future. Father in heaven, I know the devil wants to rob people of this. Lord, we pray that you'd rebuke him out of our lives and out of our church, out of our community, God, and that we will be what you called us to be. People who believe in eternity future and are investing in it. May we be a community of love, Lord. Not a community of bitterness or discouragement. And God, we begin this year with the belief and confidence in the victory of the Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.